and welcome back to the Wayfarer Weekend Podcast. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Lots of presents here at Vanderwell Manor. We've got uh, Christmas presents that are starting to stack up under the tree. We've got Milo, our grandson's third birthday. So we've had uh, presents opened even this week. So that's been exciting. So good to have our kids, our grandson home. Hey, our chapter a day journey continues Monday through Friday through the book of Psalms. I have gotten more out of the Psalms this time through than ever before. It's so cool that you can go back through it again and again and again and again for years, for decades, and it just continues to get better and better. There's so much more there than I ever knew before. So much good stuff. Today on Wayfarer Weekend, we've got Matthew Birch, who I first met because he was my therapist, and he's an amazing therapist. He actually kicked me out of therapy twice. He said, Tommy, yeah, we're done here. Don't come back. And then a few years later, we became friends and have been companions on the journey now for over a decade. Conversations with life. Matthew Birch, right after this. All right, welcome back to the Wayfarer Podcast. I'm Tom Vanderwell, and I have a very special guest <laughs> this weekend. We've got Matthew Birch, my good friend. Matthew, we go back a long ways. Yes, we do. Tell, tell my 12 listeners <laughs> about yourself. Well, first of all, Tom, it's an honor that I get to come and be in front of a microphone and be able to have this conversation. Conversations are very important to me. I spend time in conversations every day with various topics, various uh, foci. And so that I get to have a conversation with you this afternoon is very meaningful to me. But uh, born and raised, well, actually born in Phoenix, Arizona, raised in Southern California was slated to be a pastor about two years into my pastoral training. I switched over into this profession, which is marriage and family therapy. Ended up moving here to this lovely state of Iowa, Pella, in 1993. Set up a private practice in 1994, and I've been going strong ever since. So I see individuals, couples, and families, and I spend time with conversations all day long. All day long. All day long. And I first knew you as a client. I came to you for therapy. I, yeah, I, I freely admitted on many podcasts that, I, yeah, I've seen many therapists along my <laughs> journey. And you, Matthew, were the best one I ever saw. Oh, Tom, thank you. Well, Except since you, you, you spilled kicked, the beans, you Tom. You kicked me out twice. Uh, yes. <laughs> since you spilled the beans, Tom, I'm going to go ahead and say yes, indeed, to everything you're saying. And uh, every once in a while, as a therapist, there are people that I so much respect, and I see their heart, I see their mind, and I see their humility. And I can remember the first time I met you, Tom, I said, I don't want you to be my client. I want you to be my friend. Oh, you're the that's kind of so guy nice. I just want as a good comrade. Yeah. And um, so here we are, sitting, sitting across from each other, and you've been a friend for over a decade. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Yes, it's been great to share the journey together. And I, 
you know, you and I have met regularly now for, yeah, it's been over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we typically just have great conversations. And you, early on in, in our in our times together would talk about the fact that as a therapist and as you help people on their respective journeys, whether it be marriage or their individual stuff, that you see every person as having a conversation, an ongoing conversation with life. And I'd like to dig into that with you. Um, so describe what that means. How did you come up with that concept? What is it that you see and how would you describe that to somebody? Oh, thank you, Tom. Dating back to when I was about 18, 19 years old, I was actually slated to go to either UCLA or USC or Stanford. I was a gymnast. And in my gymnast career, I really wanted to go big and I wanted to perform. Well, long story short, that didn't happen. So I took a year off, and I didn't go to school at all. I was going to be an architectural engineer, had been admitted to the University of Redlands in Redlands, California. That's just outside Riverside. And about two weeks before my, my day of stepping on campus, I knew in my heart that this was not the decision to make. And so I pulled my admission papers and I ended up not going to school. Now you can imagine being a family of nine, seven children, being the first one in the lineage of my family to go to school after high school. My father was very grieved. Mm. Thinking I was never going to go back to school, I ended up spending a year I worked, and I served four days a week, Okay, had a lot of fun, but I had a mentor during that year. And during that year, he would spend time, we'd have conversations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I remember that my mentor said was, he said, Matthew, life is in the question, not the answer. Mm. What is the conversation you are having that you're asking the kind of questions that are leading you? Hmm. Asking questions that are causing you to grow, causing you to expand, or causing you to take note of where you're at, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Yeah. So let's back up real quick. Because this is a conversation that we haven't had. You haven't really talked much about this mentor in your life. I haven't. No. Hmm. And I have found, uh, especially among young men uh, and younger adult men who have even asked me, how do you find a mentor? How does that happen? Uh, and I've, I've had it happen. I've had several mentors in my life in different different ways. Mm -hmm. How did this come about? How did this relationship come about? Well, this was a mentor that he was almost like a pastor to me. Okay. And I knew him through church and he was about four or five years older than me. My brother was good friends with him. He was actually my brother's roommate. Okay. 
And of course, taking time off from school meant that I had time. And he was actually closer to the coast than where I was living. So it was fun to spend some time with him. And we just have conversations at night because we'd leave early in the morning to go surfing. So did it just happen or, or, kind of organically? Organically, it, it, it just wasn't like out. oh, we're we're having we're now in a mentor protege relationship. You know, it, it sometimes it doesn't doesn't happen like that. Not at all. It wasn't like that at all. You're right, Tom. It just organically happened that he was my brother's best friend. He had attended a number of my gymnastic meets, and. He knew what was going on. He knew that I had my heart set. Mm. How much um, older was he? Than you? He's about five years older. Okay. About four or five years, somewhere around there. All right. And so one thing led to the next, and we just ended up meeting, and we'd have Bible studies, and we would have little times of getting together and barbecuing and okay. different things. So he asked you about what this conversation, the questions that you're asking. Yes. And that was the seed out of which you realized, I'm having this conversation with life. Absolutely. Okay. And so what I realized then, Tom, which has developed and grown uh, tremendously since then, was we all live with outside activity. We live with relationships. We live with things that are going on around us, events on a number of different levels. And all of those things begin to be perceived by each of us And that then creates an inward reality. And that inward reality really is your conversation with life. Do you find that as people come to you and sit down and begin talking about whatever it is that has prompted them to book an appointment with you, are people even aware that they're having this conversation or is part of what you do helping them to recognize it and realize it? Yes, absolutely. In my profession, there's something called metacommunication. And metacommunication is where we're talking about our talking. <laughs> yep. just, just like we are right now. We're kind of talking about our talking. And So a person will come in, they will think, they will feel, they have a certain sensation in their body, and yet they don't step away long enough to evaluate, observe, take time, meditate, and give focus and attention to that inner conversation that they're having. So if I don't know that I'm having this conversation that I'm actually having all the time, what is it that that buries that conversation, that keeps me Mm. deaf to it or blind to it? Absolutely. Excellent question. Typically, what buries that conversation often is the immediacy of what we think we need to do as a result of what we're most afraid of. So Mm. think of it this way. You and I right now are, are sitting, we're doing this podcast together. We're thinking with our prefrontal most left cortex. There we're relaxed, and it's a slower processor. We're thinking, we're relating, the environment's comfortable. Nothing harmful in our environment right now. We're not thinking about tomorrow. We're thinking about this podcast and what we're going to say and how we're going to have this conversation. When people come into my office, Tom, typically 
there's been a culmination of events, relational exchanges, circumstances, sometimes losses. Sometimes those losses are historical, sometimes they're current. And all of a sudden, when that happens, we start thinking literally with a different part of our brain. And that part of our brain will cause us to think more with an immediate fight, flight, or freeze. And so life is becoming more hectic for people, as you're well aware. Mm -hmm. And so that begins to limit our decision-making or our ability to evaluate what it is we're thinking, what we're feeling, and actually what we're truly needing. So it becomes more urgent. You've heard of that term back in the 80s or early 90s, tyranny of the urgent. Right. And with the urgency comes a limitation of decision-making. So there's almost, would you call it like a, um, that when something in life makes us acutely uncomfortable, there's a fear, there is something threatening us or uh, that we're really afraid of. Something has become unmanageable. Correct. And so I need to figure this out. I need help. And so we come to your office and you begin to peel back and say, all right, do you realize you're having this conversation with life? Where, where does somebody begin to recognize it? Yeah, it's a good question. Sometimes people don't recognize it and they continue on their hamster wheel. Everyone knows what the hamster wheel is. Round and round and round we go. And our, our mind begins to spin. Right. And one thing leads to the next. So our, th our feelings lead to our thoughts, which lead to our reactions, which lead to our feelings, which lead to our thoughts, which right. lead to... And round it's just a vicious circle, which vicious. is why we find ourselves in these patterns of behavior yes. that we are wondering, why do I keep doing this when it's not working for me? Correct. Okay. Now that creates anxiety. And we all need anxiety to a certain degree, but we can't have too much of it. An example, when the alarm went off this morning at 6 a.m., <laughs> I really didn't want to get out of bed. But You too? Yes. All right. Uh, Full weekend, and so there was a, a burst of adrenaline to say, Matthew, get out of bed. So that's a very, very low, mild grade of anxiety, but it motivates us to action that we need to act on. Okay. However, when we have too much anxiety, there are chemicals, more than just adrenaline, that flood our bloodstream that actually cause our thinking. I like the word that you chose, Tom. It causes our thinking to begin to actually think thoughts of dread or threat mm -hmm. or fear. All of those words really describe what happens when we have too much anxiety. So we have to have enough anxiety to motivate us to the next level mm -hmm. of living or you know growing. But we can't have too much anxiety because it overwhelms us and it debilitates us. Right. If that makes sense. Okay. So I'm sitting in your office and I've got this anxiety at things. I'm in this perpetual spinning wheel of behavior and it's not working for me. And now relationships are falling apart. How, how do you lead somebody? I mean, what is it that, that begins? Is it questions that begin to trigger my understanding of, oh, I'm having this conversation with life? Yes. I would say, Tom, it's probably two things. One is 
I find that very few people feel heard in life. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, they just don't feel heard. Life is noisy out there. Life has many needs. People have needs. And we're constantly giving and responding to the priorities, certainly, but then the urgencies that seem to just constantly grab our attention. In fact, now there's few conversations about time management and there are more conversations about energy management because everything that we give focus to really drains a certain pound of energy from us. So, and I find that that the tyranny of the urgent, as you talked about, Oftentimes, it's just the task list. We are so driven by the task list. And obviously, we have different stretches of our journeys where when you're a parent of young ones, you have almost no time for yourself. And there's plenty of things to keep your brain occupied going from one task to the next to getting things done. Even more so now. Yeah. And so I'm not even aware that there are things happening inside my brain and inside my spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm having this conversation. Or is it that the conversation isn't happening because I'm suppressing it and I'm I'm just acting out of yes. yeah, automatic I'm on auto mode. Auto mode, yes. And auto mode means survival mode. Yeah. And we all have certain mechanisms that are hardwired into us and developed ever since day one to survive. So to get back to your question, Tom, when people don't feel heard, they just continue to go around the hamster wheel until something breaks or something gets their attention to the point that they can no longer do it, such as, I don't want to get out of bed, I'm anxious. And fighting like cats and dogs with my mate or my best friend. Something gets our attention, typically pain, and that causes us to stop, look, and listen. So that's where I come in. And the first appointment typically is an appointment of asking questions, but giving the kind of attention that a person feels heard. So our brains are hardwired and have the proclivities to hear everything. Verbal, nonverbal, sensational, relational. Yeah, I mentioned in a previous podcast that I've been amazed in, even in my work, vocational work, where I am often asked to mentor and to coach people in a corporate environment. And I have been amazed over the years, what people will tell me once they are sitting alone with me in a, in a small closed conference room. And what I have observed is, to your point, there are a lot of people out there that have no one to talk to. Absolutely no one. And no one who will listen to them. Yes. And so here I am, I've been hired to maybe coach them on their customer service And I've had people tell me about just intimate, amazing, intimate things of their life that I didn't ask them to tell me. (laughs) Almost confessions maybe, right? Yes. Then I'm like, how did we get here? Why why are you telling me this? Yeah. But I'd like to believe that part of that is sensing 
uh, a presence in me that mm-hmm. they feel that they can trust and that I that there's a love and care for them as an individual. I hope that that's true, uh, that they feel that. But also the fact that people are, in some cases, are just desperate to be heard. Yes. And that's exactly it, Tom. And you mentioned a word that is very, very important in anyone's conversation with life because it's the first developmental stage of life and living period, and that is trust. Eric Erickson, in his uh, stages of human development, the very first stage is trust versus mistrust. So the actual blueprinting and templating of our conversation with life is stage one, and that is, can I trust you or do I need to mistrust you? Mm. And at that age, you know, from zero to say two or three, it would be, can I trust you to feed me, clothe me, keep me safe? Uh, Are you creating a warm environment for emotional and relational nourishment? Mm. Or are things scary and frightening? Do I feel anxious as a one-year-old, two-year-old? So that's our first conversation with life, actually, that begins to create a relational and emotional template for life. So after I spend some time hearing, often that is a trust builder that this person really wants to know about me. Now think about that, Tom. What does it feel like to to feel known mm-hmm. and to feel like someone knows you, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Right. And loves you despite. And still wants to hear you. Yes. Yeah. So the root word of intimacy in Latin comes from the Latin word to intimate. And so to be intimate with someone means to know them while you're making yourself known. To know and be known. To know and be known. That's intimacy. Yeah. And In, that's our deepest longing from day one. My, so, and you know this, but for the sake of uh, people listening in, I first really began becoming aware of my own conversation with life. It was probably in my early 30s. I had been really exploring a lot of the questions that I had about myself and about my, why I do things the way I do, why I, Mm. you know, was struggling with relationships and where I came from and trying to figure out who I was Mm -hmm. and the process of morning pages. So I learned first from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, but it was the, the recipe is this, three pages, longhand, first thing when you wake up in the morning, before you even have a chance to be completely conscious. You get out of bed, I would get out of bed, turn on the coffee pot, open up my journal, and just start writing. And three pages, longhand, whatever came out. And it was at first stupid and silly and hard. And I can remember mornings that I was writing, literally writing, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't Uh, know what to write. (laughs) And I wrote morning pages every morning for over two years. Mm. And in that period of two years, what began to happen was all of a sudden on that page, things started coming out. Because I... 
because first thing in the morning, my brain's not completely conscious. My filters haven't come up. I'm not thinking about my task list for the day. Or if I am thinking about my task list for the day, I'm writing about it because I'm writing whatever comes to my mind. Right. And then as I'm going through my tasks, all of a sudden I find myself writing, I hate doing that. Oh, what? Wait, wait. What do you mean I hate doing that? Where did that come from? Oh, I have feelings about this task. Yes. That I wasn't, I didn't know that I had. And the process of morning pages helped me to, to listen in and recognize that. And I found out all sorts of things that I had buried my whole life. That things that I felt dull about. Things that I wanted. Things that I desired. Things that I was afraid of. Things that I was, made me angry. Things that I had repressed. Things that... Ah, you know, over a couple of years, I began to really understand I'm having this conversation with life. So that's where I connected with it. Right. And how did that, Tom, influence your ability to grow? It, oh, it completely kicked my growth into... High high octane, (laughs) right? All of a sudden, yes, the the spiritual photosynthesis began to take place and things began Mm. to grow exponentially because there were things that came out that I'm like going, I wasn't aware that I thought this, felt this, remembered this. Mm. I got to figure out what that means and why, where did this come from? There were things where I, yeah, I basically discovered things that I desired, that I didn't know that I desired. Hmm. And all of these things helped me now to put my life into focus. And as I'm going about my day, my job, my relationships, my tasks, now all of a sudden I'm seeing things with a different perspective. It's not just mindlessly going from task to task, 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 task. Absolutely, Tom. I'm beginning to think about those tasks. Yes. You're beginning to think about your thinking to do the task. Yes. And that completely allowed me to make incredible personal and spiritual and relational growth. Hmm. Not always fun and not always easy, but necessary for maturity. Absolutely. You know, that reminds me of another mentor that I had while I was in seminary, the late Ray Anderson. He was another mentor that I had who had such an impact on me, my personal growth, my understanding of God, and my understanding of human relating. And he would say, Matthew, we are not human doings, we are human beings, Mm. which means that it is out of our becoming that we do anything. Let me say that again. It is out of our becoming that we do anything. That languaging itself suggests a kind of conversation that says we're, we're becoming someone. We're becoming something more than we were the minute before. And out of that, we have the capacity and the ability to actually do something. So is it possible for that being to get stuck? Mm. I mean, do you see that where, where individuals, it's like nothing has become since this waypoint in life. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I love the term waypoint because that is a point of reference that we're trying to either follow or get to um, land with. And yes, 
Typically, Tom, where we get stuck is when we've had an event take place in our life and we really don't know how to process it. It has imposed a certain amount of pain, difficulty, either it's trauma and we've uh, literally blocked that trauma out. And when we block trauma, we are we're afraid of what we feel when we begin to relive the trauma. And that's why it's trauma. But there's something else that can block our growth too in our human sense of becoming. And that is the repetitious um, progression of constantly living a life of anxiety. We will leave it there for this week. Please join us for part two of my conversation with Matthew Birch next week on Wayfarer Weekend. Feel free to join in on the chapter day journey Monday through Friday, continuing through the book of Psalms. We pick it up with Psalm 84 on Monday. As always, you have permission to share this podcast or any chapter day post or podcast with anyone anywhere. I mean, if you know anyone who you think might like it or might benefit from listening, share away. Hey, it's free. And wherever you find yourself on this journey, my friend, whatever your conversation with life is in this moment, will you let me bless you? Ah, my friend, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Have a great week, my friend. Music